1: Good morning. It is Friday, February 9th. It is five minutes after 11. You're listening to Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. So it is election season and we've got them coming into the studio today. Eric Doden, who is running for governor of the great state of Indiana, is joining us. And before we get going, this is Eric Doden.
0: And, and there might be a no-labels nope, candidate.
1: that's not Eric um, Dode. I might... <laughs> it's okay. That's all right. We'll Christian, meet Eric Dode right now. Right. About Christian that? conservative, GOP candidate for governor, pro-life, pro-parent, pro-police, and save our small town.
2: All right. So let's get right to it. Uh, we we kind of start started yesterday with asking Suzanne Crouch to give a grade of the Holcomb administration. I'll ask this question a little differently this time. And that is, over the past seven years, I want you to finish the sentence. Over the past seven years, the Indiana Republican Party has done a blank job running the state of Indiana.
3: Well, Rob, I I think we've done a good job, maybe even better than good. But I think right right now we can do a great job. And here's how I define that. You know, we've, for for about, for, for our entire existence, we have never had a plan for the two and a half million people that live in small towns. And that's nearly a third of our population uh, and a lot of these small towns are super excited as I've traveled the state to be a part of the economic development strategy for the state of Indiana. So I think that's where we can really improve.
2: so Suzanne Crouch yesterday said Holcomb gets an A, then proceeded to tell us the government's too big.
3: There's too many taxes. It's too inefficiently run. She right about that? Well, l- let me tell you, like like uh, uh, let me tell you some things that I kind of see over the last few years that I think would be differences in my leadership. You know, uh, Rob, if you know me at all, you know, I don't like to be told what to do. Yeah. That's why uh, so, you made a lot of money. So the, and we're working here. So, you know, the mask <laughs> mandates I just thought were inappropriate. I thought, you know, mandating um, uh, some of the COVID mandates that we got with vaccines and that type of thing were inappropriate. Shutting down businesses were inappropriate. Um, I think, you know, even like regional cities, as you know, I was the person that came and developed regional cities under Mike Pence. You know, it came more centralized, you know, to the IDC and our regional cities, which became ready ready became more centralized to the idc and i really think regional cities was really empowering local leaders to make the decision
2: so would you would you have so are you willing to say if you're governor no mask mandates no business closures no no telling people they gotta stay home that's out if you're the
3: governor oh yeah absolutely i mean i think in a crisis what you see is what people believe and you know what i believe in is liberty and people making an informed choice and in decisions for themselves and uh i know i don't like being told what to do so i don't think it's appropriate to tell other people what to do
2: what would you say to i mean at the time i think it was bosma and long obviously it's evolved now it's it's uh, it's houston and and bray running the show what would you say to those lawmakers who really have done nothing the past four years other than exempt themselves from the mask mandate what would you say to those guys who they they i mean
3: holcomb could do everything he did then he could do it today what what would you say to those guys well, you know, what I would say is let's, let's you know, let, first of all, let's not have mask mandates. Let's not have, you know, mandates of those kinds. And, but then I'm saying what I'm saying now is let's have a focus on our small towns. Let's make sure that we give a chance for two and a half million people to be successful and not just focused on, you know, four or five counties.
2: So you're okay if they take that power away from you? Like they're looking at doing that right now to take away the power of the governor, the next governor, if that's you, you're saying, cool, I don't I don't want to do this. So you can take that power away from me. I don't need it.
3: Well, you're not really taking power away from me that I'm not going to use. Yeah, okay. You know, so um, I, I think our focus, you know, has to be on making sure that all 92 counties can be successful. I know in in Fort Wayne, uh, you know, we were not ranked in 2015. On any national level, we were struggling to grow population, struggling to grow our economy. Uh, we, we instituted a $650 million plan that was private sector driven. and uh, But the state was a good partner to us. But the private sector has to drive, you know, that plan and that vision. And uh, we want to be a good partner to those leaders. Eric
2: Dode's our guest. Uh, before you hop in, Casey, uh, I have the sign over my shoulder. It's the, You can watch us on the YouTube feed if you want. Just put Kendall and Casey into your YouTube search bar. Stop the steal. It's a group of folks up in Tippecanoe County and surrounding areas who are very concerned about the LEAP district, uh, the water, the movement of hundreds of ga- hundreds of, of millions of gallons of water daily, potentially. You have come out with an ad. We played part of it mm-hmm. on our show against LEAP. Some people looked at it and said that's unusual because you were the head of IEDC, mm-hmm. which is overseeing LEAP. Tell us about why you came out with that ad, what your problem is with LEAP, and what you would do differently if you're the next governor.
3: Well, I, I, you know, at the IDC, I never believed the IDC or any government agency for that matter should act like a developer. So when you take taxpayer money and you go buy land for seventy to to $100,000, 10,000 acres, by the way. So do that math, Rob. Yeah. It's nearly a billion dollars. You're, you're, um, you're starting to impact the market. So what happens is now you have landowners that were going to buy, you know, like a lot of farmers you own their own property, but then they they cash rent the other property, sure. right? And they had designs to buy that Tillable property.
2: land, I think is what it's called Tillable these land. days.
3: Yeah. And they wanted to buy that other property. Well, now, because of taxpayer dollars coming in and buying land, they are telling me, and, and I see it, they are not able to buy the property that they had been, you know, in some cases, farming for 20 years.
2: Because our... Uh, uh do we call him friend of the show? Because he's very nice when he was here, and then he got super mouthy. Uh, Matt Gentry, the mayor of mouthy mm-hmm. Matt, the mayor of Lebanon. Um, he Acquaintance uh, of the show. Yeah, acquaintance of the show. How about that? It's one thing, you know, everybody turns into a real tough guy when they're not standing right in front of you. He, his argument was, well, people can sell their land for whatever they want to sell it for, and you guys are kind of missing the picture on this. And we've heard from other people who said, look, if the government comes knocking on your door, and you know it's basically a fait accompli, you're going to do something maybe you don't necessarily want to do because you know how it's going to end and you don't want to lose everything in the process. Is that, is that fair for those people who are, who are saying that?
3: Well, I mean, that's, I think that's part of it. And I think the other part is um, they're throwing a lot of money at you, you know, that is not necessarily market driven. Right. So um, and then beyond that, you buy this land and then we discover there's a two to three billion dollar water problem. Yeah. then we discover from the utility experts that there's a, a the, the utilities could cost more than the water so now you're starting to talk about a six billion dollar problem and then beyond that you have an energy problem right because some of these things are going to bring on that site are energy hogs what we call energy hogs and, Yeah. and and these uh, we are at capacity right now if you talk to the experts and so now you're looking at a situation where um, we have to go buy energy from other states it increases our energy cost across the entire state of Indiana and we just believe that one county strategy is not the strategy. Mm-hmm. It needs to be a 90 county strategy. Eric Doden's our guest. He's running for governor on the Republican side. Casey, go ahead.
1: Now, you've said that you think that the IEDC needs reforming. Did you leave it in a position that was in good? It was in a good position, and uh, things happened after you left. And what exactly needs reforming? Well, yeah, Which they, part there was a major
3: shift. So when we were there, we had about 64 people. Our whole goal was to serve. You know people i mean we didn't have many tools frankly our one tool was that we were given ten thousand dollars per person you know to attract a new business so but they had to to be certified by the department of revenue that they actually did that and if they didn't do that we could do a clawback right that was the only tool we had we did not have a 500 million dollar fund that we could go buy land with none of that stuff well since then it's grown to uh, i think 110 or 115 people so they've almost doubled the size of the agency uh, and then they became a developer. You know, a completely different strategy. In fact, when they first told me what was going on, I couldn't believe it because I knew by running the IDC, that was out of bounds. That was never something we would have done. So, um, you know, I'm the only candidate that said that every agency head will have to reapply for their job. because like we're, that. We're going to make sure that we have people that are the right agency heads with the right talent that will serve the people of Indiana. All
1: right. Is, is that you want to take well, a break? I was just,
2: I was just, yeah, I was just going to say, why don't we take a break? Because I feel like that's a good... Pause because when we come back, we want to know like what a, kind of your agenda would be as governor? And there's a new survey out. These you know these lawmakers do these taxpayer funded infomercials known as citizen surveys, and um, there's a, the results of these are overwhelming on property taxes. People want to see those reforms. So I'm kind of curious economically where you would want to take the state. And Suzanne's got the axe, the tax, and I want to find out what you want axe. How about that? <laughs> Sounds good. Eric Doden's our guest. Go ahead, Casey. It's
1: Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. 18 minutes after 11, it's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC, and Eric Doden is joining us in the studio. He wants to be the next governor of the great state of Indiana. Uh, Eric, you're president of Pago USA, which is a company that helps to restore buildings, especially in small downtowns. And I'm wondering, uh, what is your plan to restore the state infrastructure?
3: Yeah, I mean, infrastructure is going to be critical, whether it's our our highways, there's a number of highways that we're looking at. Uh, we are in the middle of everyone, and so they depend on us in terms of uh, transportation uh, in this state big time. Uh, so infrastructure is going to be important. But I also think that the infrastructure of, of our small towns, one of our biggest challenges, Casey, is the attraction retention of our kids and grandkids. And I know for me, when I grew up in a small town of Butler and Auburn, you know, we were told, hey, go get your education, go to the big city and get a job. You know, It wasn't, hey, here's the way back. Well, now I think with the restoration of some of these towns, we're finding a way back. And I think that, that people are excited. Like I knew in Fort Wayne in 2019 when we were starting to make progress when i go to church and people would come up to me and say, hey, thank you for what you're doing because our kids and grandkids are moving home. Mm-hmm. And that's when you know that you're starting to really make a difference.
2: All right. So I'm an undecided voter. There are uh, certain people I've ruled out. You're not one of them. So you're still in the mix. And I will tell you, and I, I hear this from people all the time, and the Indiana Capitol Chronicle, Nikki Kelly has a new piece out talking about all these lawmakers uh, have these citizen surveys returning. And it appears the overwhelming issue is property taxes. And not because people are stingy or greedy, but they're saying, look, we are in many cases elderly people, fixed income people. We're not monetizing our homes. And yet we are being flushed out of our homes. I will say this is a number one issue for me and many
3: other people. Do you have a plan to deal with property taxes? Yeah. I, so first of all, as people have now figured out, you know, we have a one percent cap, but that doesn't cap the assessment, right? So well, and the referendums. And, I mean, and and any, referendum, at any point you can right, go above the, the cap, yeah. So, so one of the things we're looking at, especially for the elderly, because if you guys have followed my, you know, my campaign, protecting the vulnerable is one of the most important things I think we do. And so that means people that are on fixed incomes, that are elderly, that want to stay in their homes. And we think it's just good public policy to keep people in their homes as long as they want to be there. So we're looking at ideas like do, do, we, do we stop, you know, any increases after a certain age? Uh, we're going Can to that be at, 40?
2: Can we stop at well, 40? That'd be good 40, for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but I mean, you say this, but it's like – it seems like a lot of times it is – uh, public policy is just carving out exemptions for specific people versus public policy that that works. And, and that's where people get frustrated where, and I like the idea that we're protecting the elderly, but how about the guy on the fixed radio
3: income? You know, what, what about me? All right,
2: Don't
1: well, we all have fixed income? <laughs> yeah,
3: we do, we do. Well, and that, that re- reaches our second point, which is, you know, can we have a cap on how much it can rise in any given year? I think we got to look at that because I think a lot of the concerns I've had from people that are on fixed incomes and budgets is how do I plan for a 30% increase in my property taxes that wasn't you know in the right. budget, right? And I think it's a fair question. So I think you got to look at a cap. And I think you also have to make it easier. A lot of people would like to challenge their property taxes, but they're afraid if they challenge it, that it's going to cost them a lot of money, num- number one. And number two, uh, that they may actually have to pay more. Yeah. So how do we create a system that's streamlined, that's easier for them to challenge it without the penalty? I think those are the kinds of creative things that we can do to help with this property tax issue.
2: Uh Eric Doden's our guest he's running for governor on the Republican uh, side yesterday
1: we had Suzanne Crouch in and uh, we were talking about how she called for an audit of the FSSA you just said one of your main points is that you want to protect the vulnerable Um, do you agree with that approach and how would you ensure that a one billion dollar clerical error doesn't happen under your administration
3: yeah, so we're doing a lot of research on this billion-dollar error. And, you know, one thing things I think is very important to do is protect these families that are relying on FFSA, uh, especially when their, their kids are dealing with a lot of health issues that they're trying to take care of. And, frankly, there's not enough healthcare workers to really help these kids anyway. So we need to really be cautious about that and making sure that we don't cut that funding for those families. Uh, at the same time, audits are really good. Like audits, you know, identify areas of improvement. And I think, frankly, we need more of that. You know, more uh, independent third party, you know, kind of coming in and making sure that we're doing a good job as an agency, more accountability for the agencies. Anyone that knows my leadership style knows this. I'm highly relational, but we're highly accountable. Mm
1: -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about uh, zero cost adoption?
3: Sure. So um, we have 13,000 kids in foster care, and we were looking at how do we make sure these kids get into a loving home? I know for a lot of us who grew up in loving homes, it was the foundation that gave us the opportunity to be successful. Uh, and a couple of things that I heard and we saw in our own life is the cost of adoption, but it's also the cost of the aftercare. Like there's health issues and educational issues that come up that can cost 10000 $15,000 a year. So this adoption fund would be funded much like an SGO, How We Fund School Choice, where if you make a contribution to the fund, you get a 50% deduction on your state tax credits. The other 50% is federally deductible. Uh, And then this fund would not only help pay for adoptions for the children, but pay for the aftercare that can really cause families to, to have some challenges financially.
2: Eric Doden's our guest. He's running for uh, governor on the Republican side. All right, you guys have been way too nice so far. I mean, there's six of you in, and it's just been kind of a snooze fest. You got Braun, who voted for 40-plus tax increases in 2017 as part of the General Assembly, largest tax increase in state history. You guys going to get wild and wacky soon? I mean, come on, you got to give us a little something to work with. You guys aren't just going to let Braun run away with this thing, are you? Uh,
3: of, of course not. Uh, you know, look. I think we're um, we're going to hold each other accountable. There's going to be a lot of robust debates. It's going to be uh, a, a very strong fight, right to the bitter end. And I think um, there there are a lot of issues that that uh, Senator Braun is going to be held accountable for that he's going to have to explain to people. Um, you know, one of which is, you know, here he is. His basically message is, "Hey, I've got name ID. I'm going to win, so support me." Yeah. But he's got no ideas.
2: His ads look like a U.S. Senate campaign. They do.
3: Uh, and, and what we want, you know, what we think is appropriate here is to have a bold vision for the people of Indiana. And I think people are starting to see that. They start to see our ads versus his ads. They're starting to see the difference about, you know, restoring small towns. He talks about, I'm Mr. Main Street, but he's never talked one idea about how to restore and, and improve small town Indiana.
2: So I've been asked about the people knew you were coming in today. You put a lot of your own money, family money, into this. And they said, why is this guy spending all of his. Potential inheritance, right? I mean, I'm glad you're running for governor, but no offense. I would do something much different with, with inheritance like that. Why Why have you made this kind of a priority for you and, and your family? And why
3: is this how you're spending your money? Because I think we just believe that there needs to be a bold vision for the state. You know, it's just, it's just that simple, Rob. And, and I think for us, um, when you're called to do something, you feel called to do it, and the calling is clear, you go do your job, you do it with the best of your ability. I mean, what I'm proud of is we've had 550 people invest in our campaign, Uh, and so this hasn't been just, you know, my family investing or me investing. It's been a whole network of people across the state investing, and, um, you know, I'm just really um, honored to be able to have the privilege to run for governor and to go out and meet people all across the state of Indiana.
1: So far, uh, it looks like you're at about $4 million for raising campaign funds. But I wanted to ask you this question, because uh, when you first announced that you were running for governor, you said that you wanted to repeal the state's income tax for teachers K through 12 throughout Indiana. And my view is that that is a way of picking winners and losers. Is that still your position?
3: Yeah, let me let me explain that a little bit and why you know why I because you know we've been angry about oh, this. Oh, I know, I know, I know. Like, <laughs> I've heard and I <laughs> somebody somebody told you about that. <laughs> yeah, a couple people. Okay, couple people. Uh, no, so here here's the situation we were beginning to discover. Um, you, you have a teacher crisis, especially in rural communities, which is sixty eight percent of our you know of our. Um, teacher or of our educational process. And, you know, I believe that we have not just a moral obligation, but we also have a constitutional obligation to educate our kids. It's in our constitution, enshrined in that. Uh, one of the challenges is that, you know, you have 11,000 people that get a bachelor's degree, uh, but only um, 2,500 people actually sit for the license. And out of 2,500, only 1,400 stay after one year. So you have a challenging time to attract and retain talent in the teacher community. So we talked about, do we increase teacher pay? Well, the problem with that is if you if you do that in a budget line item, the concern is that the teachers union and the administration will take their cut. So we were trying to find a creative way to get a, a, a pay increase directly to the teachers. And the way that we felt we could do that the most directly was, you know, to have some kind of either tax credit or property tax um, which should be a tax credit, property sure. tax, and because the, because the tax. public
2: education system is totally. I mean, it's been totally bastardized. They they you know they pass these referendums and then it ends up going to sports fields, right? Or it ends up going to to superintendents who are making a quarter of a million dollars uh, a year, and I think that's a big frustration for a lot of people. Is no matter how much taxes we pay, we're always told it's not enough, and these people need more money.
3: Yeah, and that's why we wanted to go directly to the teachers and bypass that opportunity for bureaucracy to take some of that money
2: all right you are uh by far the best dressed of any of the candidates so far <laughs> That's what I said. yeah 100 totally, 100%, 100%, which i mean you should i mean you've been very successful in business we don't <laughs> want mm-hmm. you showing up looking like us uh but if people <laughs> want to know more about you they want to know more about your your
3: vision uh how can people do that uh DodenforIndiana.com. Or you can call my cell phone at 260-413-6342. I like that. That is my personal cell phone. I like Fantastic. that.
1: Fantastic. Expect a tax. That's a bold <laughs> thing on these <laughs> airwaves. Yeah.
3: Hey, we'd love to have you back as we get a little bit
2: closer to the to the uh, campaign and election day. And uh, and you're still in the mix. I know that's going to make your day. You are still in my mix. You have not been disqualified. My heart <laughs>
3: is beating with...
2: with oh, no. <laughs> I, 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 no thank, thank you, Rob, Thank you. Thanks thank for coming you, in.
1: You're listening to Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. It is 1134. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC.
2: All right. So we just wrapped up that interview with Eric Doden. He's Mm -hmm. running for governor on the Republican side. Jamie Rittenour will be with us on Monday.
1: The most surprising thing about the Jamie Rittenour story is the amount of signatures that she received on the budget.
2: She told (laughs) us she was going to do it and she (laughs) did it. And so she'll be with us Monday. All right. So we did this with Suzanne and let's, let's do it with him. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought, again, interesting conversation. Mm -hmm. There were things, some things I liked. There were some things I had big concerns about. Which one would you like to start with?
1: Uh, Let's talk about the things that you liked.
2: Well, here is the the reality of all at least five of the six running. Now, Jamie Rittenour may be a different story. We'll find out Monday. Mm -hmm. But with five of the six, they are in their own way very tied into the establishment.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Even Curtis Hill who was certainly an enemy of Holcomb and the the party apparatus, was the attorney general. He depended upon the party apparatus to get him elected. He has many donors and, and you know lobbyists, et cetera, that he's friends with. And so as such, they're never going to come in with the machete and start chopping the head off state government. They're just they're not. that's not going to happen. If you want that, you have to vote for Rainwater. Mm -hmm. And so that is, now they're going to do different things and that's kind of what you're voting on. But what you kind of have to look at is who is best going to stop the madness that is the Indiana Republican Party. There's not a true reformer in the race other than maybe Rittenauer. We'll see. And so if that is the case, who best can stop the madness and at least bring some sanity, both in terms of public policy-wise, public education certainly, and... With, as regards to spending and and trying to get some of that stuff, you know, under control. And so he's a competent guy. There's no doubt. I mean, the guy's made a whole bunch of money. He mm-hmm. comes from a family of wealth, a family of successful business. He is a very competent guy. And so that's, you know, I would say that off the bat as I'm trying to find positivity here in a new year, new me type of thing. Mm -hmm. He's very, very competent and would no doubt run a far more competent, probably accountable government than say Holcomb has the past seven years. But that's like, that's like being the, the tallest person on a basketball team with the, the Seven Dwarfs.
1: Well, I mean, I thought it was good that he says that the IEDC uh, needs some reform and that the LEAP project needs some legislative scrutiny. So that, to me, is headed in the right direction. He didn't seem nearly as nervous as Suzanne did when she was here. Well,
2: he doesn't have the baggage she does. He's a blank slate. Now, he obviously has his time with with Pence, and the head of IEDC, mm-hmm. but he doesn't have the baggage from the standpoint of he hasn't been Holcomb's right-hand man or woman in this case for 7 years. He doesn't have the, the you know all those connections that she's going to have to explain and still really hasn't hasn't figured out. Now, what I look for with people on how likely they are to do something is the passion they have when we ask them a question about it. Mm-hmm. And on the property tax thing, mm-hmm. I don't see it. I think he's going to try to do would try to do something Because I think he knows he has to. I mean, this we won't be able to get to it today, but Monday we'll get into this Nikki Kelly column about these lawmakers and these citizen surveys they're getting back. But there's he has the passion for the adoption thing. Mm -hmm. He has the passion for the teacher tax credit thing. It's clear he has a passion for trying to do something to reinvigorate rural America in Indiana. I have no doubt with those things those will be a priority. But I don't live in rural Indiana. I live in suburban Indiana. And... Property taxes are a big deal to me and to my family and to my, you know, my my dad. And and I don't I don't see that out of him yet. No, no, and in fairness, I don't see it out of any of these people yet that, that they're they're kicking and screaming on, on almost all of this stuff. So while I think he's incredibly competent and I think he would probably run a much more efficient government than Holcomb would and a more accountable government. And I don't think you'd see the insanity that you've seen under Holcomb. <laughs> I don't believe he'd necessarily go in there and be the the sort of reformer the state desperately desperately needs.
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask him. He's him and Curtis Hill are on the same page. It sounds like when it comes to uh, if there were ever a pandemic again, uh, where they would position the state. I wanted to ask him specifically about if he would put pressure on companies to mandate vaccines. Now he t- he said there'd be no masking, there'd be no lockdowns, but I was curious about specifically if he would make companies 200 or more employees do the vaccines.
2: And here's the thing about Doden, he's very confident in his positions. Mm-hmm. And clearly, you don't have the success he did in business without being incredibly confident in what you're selling, people you're selling to. He's very articulate, he's clearly very knowledgeable in a wide variety of issues. I mean, I judge that that interview markedly different than the one Suzanne did. I mean, I felt with Suzanne, she was begging us to accept her position. With him, I think he's trying to convince you. Hey, look, here's here's what I'm what I'm going to do. And and I freely admit, I'm not the average Republican voter. I mean, I'm a barely a Republican voter at this point. But
1: you are in good standing.
2: As it is in good <laughs> yes, as Daniel <laughs> Elliot said. And and so, I'm not the run of the mill person that's going to cast a vote in a general election that might be a Republican. But I am, and our audience is a reflection of the primary. And I think a guy like that is going to have trouble in a primary unless he develops a lot more passion for issues or perceived passion for things he's not overly excited about. And they've got to go at Braun at some point.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like, Chamber, you know, word is Chambers is getting geared up because he's got infinite money to be able to do that.
1: Well, right now, Chambers has $5.3 million in his piggy bank. Uh, Doden $4 million. Braun 3.2. Uh,
2: I would also like to point out, though, that every person who comes in here,
1: mm-hmm. they all
2: leave with a smile.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: No one is held against their will. <laughs> right. No one is, you know, sandbagged with unexpected questions or gotcha journalism. And He so said it, he'd come back. As, as did Suzanne. Why mm-hmm. wouldn't they? We have a very powerful reach and a whole bunch of, you know, people they need to reach. And that just is why I'm always amazed at these different politicians like Rokita, who... You know, we'll go on every other show on here, but won't, won't come on our show because to badmouth you in person. I mean, there's a whole bunch of people now who know about this guy, who didn't know about him before. They may have heard, you know, some of his ads, and they may have seen our news articles about him. He got to lay out, you know, where he is. I, I will say one thing that, and producer Jason and I were talking about this. We started the interview asking him how he thought the Republicans had governed the past seven years, mm-hmm. and he said, "Good." Well, if it's good, then that means the growth of government is good, because that's a defining characteristic. Of the Republicans That means increases in taxes Massive tax increases That's a defining characteristic of the Republicans And so it's it's really weird to square I'm going to be a reformer I'm going to make all these changes When we get, hey with Suzanne Holcomb gets an A Mm -hmm. And the Republicans are doing good And so uh, those are things that stand out to people And I think they're going to really have to square that up on on how you can say those things yet, say you're going to be a reformer and be different from what we've already had.
1: I did not think he was prepared for the infrastructure question because I believe he did not have a good answer for that. I mean, right now our state has a C, C minus on a report card for our infrastructure. It costs every driver $638 a year uh, in repair costs due to uh, deficiency. Uh, potentials. You know, all of these people say, oh, Indiana's going to be a 21st century state. Well, guess what? Our infrastructure needs with a uh, percentage of our bridges needing repairs, that's going to impede the ability to compete.
2: Yeah. Uh, so anyway, he did. A, he, we appreciate him coming in and uh, again, answering the questions. Mm-hmm. And he's still in my list. I'm still considering And uh, he's still one of the ones I'm still uh, considering. All right, something happy. Let's end on something happy. Yeah,
1: and for that, we have to turn to Susan Beckwith, and she's going to tell us some etiquette in regards to marriage. Ah. Marriage. That's on the way from 93 WIBC. These crimes between us
3: grow
0: deeper.
1: Susan, looks like I'm losing. I'm losing
2: my mind. 93 WIBC, it is the Kendall and Casey Show. I'm Rob. Casey's here. And boy, Casey, it is that time of the week. Mm -hmm. Friday. Your favorite part of the week. Yes. When you don't have to see me for two whole days.
1: (laughs) It's fantastic.
2: And we uh, always wrap up our show sending you, our beloved audience, into the work week, uh, weekend, away from the work week and into Mm -hmm. the weekend by trying to be better, more productive members of society. The segment is called Mind Your Manners, and we, for this, bring in our own very, own former miss indiana susan beckwith and this week casey yeah um we're doing marriage etiquette
1: well you know what? it's kind of like you and i haven't arranged marriage at least that's what our boss david (laughs) wood always says (laughs) so this will be really interesting if we can apply any of this to our on-air relationship
2: now susan i know your husband's a pastor so on the weekend you're saving souls but today you really could be saving marriages no pressure what should people be doing
0: (laughs) I love it. Well, we kind of have, you know, love on the brain. Valentine's Day is coming up. And we've talked about dating etiquette, but I thought, you know, it'd be good to just talk about some manners in marriage because that's the focus of our segment. So we're going to be kind of thinking about it from that lens of just having a lot of respect for your your spouse, your partner. So one of the first things that I really appreciated as I was kind of figuring out what I wanted to, to share is, don't it, it, I love this point because it's very relevant <laughs> for myself um, throughout the years to remind Micah, you know, we get invited to a lot of things, yeah. which is a blessing. And I love that and we love people. But before you commit to anything, <laughs> mm-hmm. be sure that you check with your your spouse. Yeah. Especially if they're inviting both of you. You wanna you don't wanna speak for both of you until you've had some discussion about uh-huh. that um or if it's even just an invitation for yourself just to say hey does this work for your schedule is this good for you <laughs> Susan
2: this strikes me as a mica problem not a you problem
0: <laughs> Oh goodness he loves people he's a true extrovert I am a little bit more of an outgoing introvert in some ways he people just fuel him <laughs>
2: Casey, do you do this because uh, your husband is a social butterfly? Do you have this issue in your house where he will commit you to things? Because you would, of course, never do this. But this seems like something Jim would do.
1: Um, You know what? It's interesting you say that. He's much more of an introvert than he leads on. But he will commit himself to things (laughs) without checking with me. So I think, Susan, what you're saying is just make sure you're both on the same page before you say yes.
0: Yes, it's, that's just at the heart of manners is that respect. And so just to make sure that you're communicating, that you're you're approaching it from the same uh, point of view and, and same place.
2: <laughs> uh, Susan, back with our guests. It's the Mind Your Manners segment. It's marriage etiquette this week. We're literally probably saving marriages over mm-hmm. this uh, this coming uh, big football game weekend. All right, Susan, <laughs> what's number two?
0: Okay, another good manner in marriage to remember. You know, if you did all of those sweet things, dating, opening doors, all the thoughtful things, continue those on even Mm -hmm. after you have uh, gotten (laughs) hitched.
2: See, this is where it's great for me, Casey, because I set the bar so low while dating.
0: Right, (laughs) that she doesn't expect anything.
2: I very early on applied the you're lucky to have me card. Mm -hmm. And so I can only go up from here, Susan.
0: (laughs) I love it. I love it. Gabrielle, you are a saint. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um,
2: True story. You know, when I proposed to my wife, Casey, I knew I was going to do it, but uh, I waited until the golf tournament was over that day. And when I proposed to her after she said yes, I said, you know, you're very lucky. The only reason I proposed, I'd made up in my mind if J.J. Spawn didn't win this (laughs) golf tournament, I wasn't going to propose, so he should forever be your favorite golfer. Was that a bad move, Susan?
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: I love it. I love that she's into golf. Well, what he doesn't know is she was only going to say yes if Scheffler performed well in the tournament. So, All right, so do all the
2: things you did before. Don't get lazy in your marriage. Uh, That seems very reasonable. What's number three?
0: Okay, so marriage is wonderful. I think it's one of um, the greatest blessings. But there are times you are frustrated with one another so something that i think is a very good rule of thumb and a good manner in marriage is even when you're frustrated you don't ever talk negatively about your spouse Um, especially out in public you know that just really i feel like chips away at trust and you you know you want to always have their best interest
2: wait you mean there's people who like publicly badmouth the person they're married to while they're still married to them
0: and i think that's so unfortunate. So you want to obviously you're you're their person. So you really want to build them up. Even you know those times where you are frustrated with one another because it happens. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Well, that just goes down to trust, doesn't it? Wait, and respect.
2: I'm gonna need a point of clarification here because I, I don't think I've ever broke this rule, but I did tell the audience about how my wife purchased a couch that I told her she shouldn't purchase <laughs> and then she wants me to bail her out and purchase her another couch to make up for her bad purchase. Mm-hmm. Is that bad-mouthing, Susan? Did I break that rule?
0: Well, I-, <laughs> I recall something about how she didn't do a great job of picking initially. Uh-oh. So. Uh-oh. I know. Maybe needed, but... Hey, it's okay. You can make up for it by, you know, picking a a fabulous new
2: (laughs) (laughs) cow. All right. Do we have time for one more rule to save a marriage over the weekend?
0: It. this will be really short and sweet we've talked so much about being a great guest and being a great guest you know you pick up after yourself you're very conscientious of that that should also you know be true in marriage so uh carry that to, through to uh, married life as well
1: mm-hmm. you don't want to live with somebody who's messy especially when you're a neat freak
2: yeah uh, yeah you're right uh hey what are you guys doing for the big oh we can say super bowl because we're not selling anything what are you guys Correct. doing for the super bowl susan
0: You know, we probably will be back en route from skiing, so uh, I'm cheering for the 49ers, Um, Mm -hmm. but yes, we are headed on a family ski trip.
1: Do you think that Brock Purdy looks like Harvey Lee Oswald, too? Lee Harvey Oswald? Lee Harvey
0: Oswald, (laughs) I I don't know about that, but I just, I really love him. I love his faith. I I feel like he's the underdog, and so uh, I'm rooting for them.
2: Everybody should Mm -hmm. be cheering for the 49ers um, because we cannot deal with an entire NFL offseason of Pfizer guy Mm -hmm. and Yoko Swifto
0: (laughs) being the lead story in
2: the NFL. So I'm with you 100%, Susan. Susan, tell us about your very fabulous website and Facebook page, Bell of the Midwest.
0: So on my website, we have a blog where we've talked about lots of different social etiquette topics. This year, I've been really dedicated to increasing my biblical literacy. So knowledge is kind of um, what I'm seeking, but I wanted to do it in a fun way. And so I've been studying the bells of the Bible. We started with Eve, uh, kind of the woman of second chances.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. What a way to put it, Susan.
0: Yes, yes. So uh, that was our first post. We're going to be talking about Ruth coming up here in February, but I'd love for you to check it out. Share with a friend. Please uh, follow on Facebook and Instagram if you don't already. Bell of the Midwest,
2: B L L E of the Midwest. Find it on Facebook and that website, bellthemidwest.com. Susan Beckwith, thanks for saving the marriages this week. You're the best.
1: <laughs> My pleasure. And that's going to do it for us today. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Kevin. Actually, thank you, Jason. Got to get your producers right. Yeah, that's right. They don't look anything alike. That was a terrible mistake on your I know, part. I know, I uh, know. And thank you for listening all week long. And have a wonderful weekend. We'll catch you back here on Monday. It's Kendall and Casey on 93WIBC.